Tracking the dangerous but lucrative market of Zaire. Ironically, their grandfather, Isaac, had spent most of his adult life working for the CSO, the De Beers cartel in London set up to limit the supply of diamonds to the market and capture illegally smuggled stones in an attempt to keep prices both constant and high. To say diamonds ran in the mayor blood would be an understatement, but neither Isaac nor Rudy had had the gift of the gab, that innate talent for salesmanship so powerful it becomes more of a compulsion than a skill that the twins were both born with. By the age of ten, Jake and Danny already had a lucrative playground business at St. Michael's Primary School, Primrose Hill, selling cigarettes and liquor that they'd painstakingly decanted into sweet packets and bottles of Panda Cola, respectively. Three expulsions and a smattering of O-levels later, they left school to work as full-time apprentices to their father. It soon became apparent to Rudy that neither boy had the patience or the temperament to make a master cutter. When he caught Jake trying to sell bags of worthless shavings from his workshop at Camden Market as genuine diamond dust, not just trying but succeeding, and at quite a price too, he bowed to the inevitable. Two years later, he agreed to provide his sons with the seed capital to start Solomon Stones, buying them each a one-way ticket to America. Success was by no means instant. Diamond dealing is a tough game, fraught with dangers at all levels, both physical and economic. The Mayer brothers were fast talkers and had an instinctive feel for a good deal and a kosher stone, but they lacked vital experience. Even professional jewellers with years in the business are often unable to tell the difference between a rough diamond and a skillfully cut and coated piece of glass. At the end of their first year, having worked like dogs to build up a nascent client base and generate some savings, Jake and Danny lost everything on a single shipment of stones from a supposedly reliable cutting centre in Israel. Like every other rookie dealer, they learned the hard way that there is no comeback with diamonds, no sale or return, no redress. It's still a handshake business, a closed and uniquely male club. By virtue of their birth, the Mayer boys were members of that club, but that wasn't protection enough. After all, the value of a handshake depends on whose hand it is you're shaking. From that point on, they never wholly trusted anyone except each other, and they made a vow to stick to what they knew, never getting greedy, keeping their operations small and focused, and crucially, well below the radar of the big cartels and established gang-funded dealerships. As the years passed, their mistakes grew fewer, their client base expanded, and they woke up one morning to find themselves small but established players in the biggest market for polished diamonds in the world. If their family name and good instincts helped them with suppliers, it was their looks and charm that made them favourites with clients. Although twins, they weren't identical. Danny was a good inch shorter than Jake and more stockily built, and although they had the same unnervingly intense violet blue eyes and thick, dirty blonde hair, Jake was undoubtedly the more classically good-looking of the two. With his long, straight nose, arrogantly curling upper lip and growling bear-like voice that reduced women to quivering mounds of desire whenever he opened his mouth, he was a natural choice for the looks-obsessed Hollywood market. 
Danny was handsome too, but in a softer, more understated way that played well with the more sophisticated and conservative New York women whom it was his job to impress. Both brothers were possessed of the sort of untiring libidos usually associated with basketball players or porn stars. The first time Jake bedded Julia Brookstein, she told him it felt like being ravished by a death row prisoner on day release. He was renowned amongst the diamond-buying wives of Los Angeles for fucking every beautiful woman like she might be his last. Sliding further down the bed till his feet touched the padded satin footboard and his head was positioned perfectly above Julia's billiard ball smooth waxed pussy, he slipped the largest of the pink stones into his mouth. Grinning as her butterscotch thighs parted like the Red Sea to receive him, he gently pulled apart her glistening pink labia and, using his tongue, pushed the dial.